You are listening to Talk Geek to Me News number 64, recorded for March 21st, 2012. You are listening to the Tech Only Hacker Public Radio Edition. To get the full podcast, including political commentary and other controversial topics, please visit www.talkgeektome.us. Here are the vital statistics for this program. Your feedback matters to me. Please send your comments to dg at deepgeek.us. The webpage for this program is at www.talkgeektome.us. You can subscribe to me on Identica as the username DeepGeek, or you could follow me on Twitter. My username there is DGTGTM, as in DeepGeek. Talk Geek to me. And now the tech roundup. From EFF.org, dated March 13, 2012, by Hanny Fakhori. Supreme Court decision on GPS surveillance sparking good court rulings. The U.S. Supreme Court's recent ruling that warrantless installation of GPS devices violates the Fourth Amendment, United States versus Jones, is already percolating through the court system, which is good news for our privacy rights. Today, in a two-sentence order, the Ohio Supreme Court vacated a lower court's opinion that upheld the installation of a GPS device without a warrant and ordered the court to apply Jones, EFF, and a number of civil liberties organizations filed an amicus brief in the Ohio case last year, urging just such a result. The Jones decision has been lauded as a landmark ruling, and the FBI's own lawyer commented that Jones perceived as a sea change within the FBI, and now its impact is starting to work its way through the judicial system as courts, like the Ohio Supreme Court, are beginning to re-examine prior cases dealing with the warrantless use of GPS devices. After issuing its opinion in Jones, the Supreme Court in late February issued brief orders reversing two other decisions from federal appellate courts that had previously upheld the warrantless use of GPS tracking devices by law enforcement. One of those decisions was in United States versus Pineda Moreno, where the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals found law enforcement's installation of a GPS device on a suspect's Jeep while it was parked both on public streets and in his driveway did not violate the Fourth Amendment. After the entire Ninth Circuit Court refused to reconsider the case, Chief Judge Alex Kosinski lamented, 1984 may have come a bit later than predicted, but it's here at last. In the other case to be reviewed in light of Jones, United States versus Cuevas Perez, law enforcement installed a GPS device on a suspect's Jeep and tracked him through New Mexico, Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, and Illinois. The Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals found the surveillance reasonable under the Fourth Amendment, but Judge Diane Wood dissented, writing, the technological devices available for such monitoring have rapidly attained a degree of accuracy that would have been unimaginable to an earlier generation. They make the system that George Orwell depicted in his famous novel 1984 seem clumsy. The facts of these three cases fit squarely with the holding and Jones, and it's likely that on taking a second look, all three courts will find the installation of a GPS device without a warrant unconstitutional. But as we've noted before, Jones is about more than just the physical installation of GPS devices, particularly because physical installation is no longer necessary for many forms of surveillance. 
Jones is an important piece in future fights over location privacy and cell tracking and ensuring that the government is unable to track out every move. So as the courts begin to reassess prior cases and the future implications of their decisions, EFF is going to be working hard to stop the march towards the world reminiscent of 1984. From torrentfreak.com, dated March 15, 2012 by Enigmax. ISPs to begin punishing BitTorrent pirates this summer. After years of painful negotiations, last June it was revealed that the RIAA, MPAA, and some of the United States' largest Internet service providers had finally come to an agreement on action against unauthorized online sharing of copyright works. The deal involves content owners such as recording labels and movie studios monitoring peer-to-peer -peer networks including BitTorrent, for copyright infringements and reporting instances to Internet service providers. The ISPs have agreed to take steps to educate allegedly infringing customers through an escalating system of notices, warnings, and other measures. While it was big news at the time, and a very hot issue since mid-2011, very little has been reported on the progress of the deal. The initial announcement said that ISPs would start implementing the alert system by the end of last year. But this obviously didn't happen. However, according to the Center for Copyright Information, the organization responsible for administering the scheme, all parties are on target to initiate the programs by July the 12th this year. The members of the coalition are making significant progress at developing a cooperative system to educate consumers and deter copyright theft, a spokesman told Torrent Freak. CCI is working to implement what is an unprecedented effort and is proceeding on pace with the MOU. We will have announcements in the near future that will include naming of the anti-piracy monitoring partner and details on how CCI and the technology partner will work together. According to CNET, this positive outlook was confirmed by RIAA CEO Carrie Sherman. During the Association of American Publishers annual meeting yesterday, Sherman reportedly announced that most of the major ISPs involved in the so-called graduated response, such as Comcast, Cablevision, Verizon, and Time Warner Cable. Sherman said that the process hadn't been easy, with each ISP having to establish their own database to keep track of repeat infringers the very people whose habits the studios hope to change. So come July, what changes should customers of the major ISPs expect? Those not engaging in file sharing on P2P networks will probably notice very little. Cyber locking sharing is not covered. Apart from ultimately having to help finance the scheme through their ISP bills. For those who choose to download and share popular music from EMI, Sony, Universal, and Warner, or do likewise with movies owned by Disney, Sony, Paramount, 20th Century Fox, Universal, and Warner, things will change. Under a White House and lawmaker-supported Memorandum of Understanding, published last July, ISPs will send advisories to alleged copyright-infringing customers. The first so-called initial education steps will advise customers that copyright infringement is illegal and a breach of the ISP's terms of service, that legal alternatives are available, and that continuing to infringe may have consequences, including account suspension or termination. The acknowledgment step, reached when an Internet subscriber is accused of additional infringements by rights holders, will see ISPs send copyright alerts requiring acknowledgment of receipt from the account holders along with a pledge to end infringing activity from the account. 
Should several attempts at educating a subscriber fail, ISPs will be able to send a mitigation measure copyright alert, which again requires customer acknowledgement. It will advise that a customer has received prior warnings, and as per the ISP's terms of service, a mitigation measure will now be applied to the account. Mitigation measures can include throttling of upload or download speeds, a temporary reduction in service quality to one step above dial-up, redirection to a landing page so that the customer can be further educated, or even account suspension. No ISP has yet agreed to the latter, and no ISP is allowed to disable VoIP, email security, or TV services. From torrentfreak.com, dated March 14, 2012, by Ernesto, Domain Registrar Confirms New Pirate Bay Investigation. Last week, the news leaked that Swedish prosecutors have started a new criminal investigation into the Pirate Bay. The assumed goal of the new effort is to shut the site down, something the authorities failed to accomplish during the first investigation more than half a decade ago. Initially, the only source of the new investigation was the Pirate Bay team itself. Today, the plans are confirmed by Swedish hosting company Benero, where two of the Pirate Bay's .se domain names are registered. We can confirm that an investigation is underway against the Pirate Bay. We received a letter with questions, Benera's marketing manager Eric Arnberg said. In addition, the hosting company also made it clear that they won't be complying with the requests unless a proper warrant is served. According to Arnberg, this hasn't happened thus far. We will not share any information about our customers until there is a court order or when a prosecutor can refer to an applicable law. In this case, we have answered the questions with information that's already available through WHOIS services. The WHOIS data for the Pirate Bay's new .se domain lists the name of Frederick Nige, one of the defendants in the original trial who was sentenced to 10 months in prison. The exact goals of the new investigation are unclear. The prosecution, led by piracy investigator Frederick Ingblad, confirmed that they are interested in torrent sites, but refused to comment further. It is expected that the Swedish authorities want to finish what they failed to do in 2006, shut down the Pirate Bay website for good. However, concerning the current state of the site, that's pretty much an impossible task. In recent years, the Pirate Bay has implemented a variety of changes to guarantee that can remain online, whatever happens. It added several backup domains, placed service all over the world, while removing resource-intensive components such as the tracker and .torrent files. The determination to keep the site online was once again confirmed by the Pirate Bay team last week who noted, We're staying put where we are, we're going nowhere, but we have a message to Hollywood, the investigators, and the prosecutors. LOL. From TechDirt.com by Mike Masnick, dated Friday, March 16, 2012. This American Life retracts entire episode about Apple factories after Mike Daisy admits to fabricating parts of the story. This is pretty big. Last month we wrote about a This American Life episode that focused on the Foxconn factories where Apple products are made based on a one-man show by Mike Daisy. I wrote about a few key points in the episode, including some of the more interesting claims from those who were used to fact-check his story. Apparently, that fact-check did not go nearly far enough. Marketplace reporter Rob Schmitz, who was quite familiar with the factories in China, found large parts of the story questionable and did some follow-up reporting. 
finding Daisy's translator and discovering that things Daisy said turned out not to be true, he then confronted Daisy with Ira Glass from TAL and got Daisy to admit that he fabricated parts of the story, though he still appears to be in denial about how bad this looks. Quote, I stand by my work. My show is a theatrical piece whose goal is to create a human connection between our gorgeous devices and the brutal circumstances from which they emerge. It uses a combination of fact, memoir, and dramatic license to tell its story, and I believe it does so with integrity. Certainly, the comprehensive investigations undertaken by the New York Times and a number of labor rights groups to document conditions in electronics manufacturing would seem to bear this out. What I do is not journalism. The tools of the theater are not the same as the tools of journalism. For this reason, I regret that I allowed This American Life to air an excerpt from my monologue. This American Life is essentially a journalistic, not a theatrical enterprise, and as such it operates under a different set of rules and expectations. But this is my only regret. I am proud that my work seems to have sparked a growing storm of attention and concern over the often appalling conditions under which many of the high-tech products we love so much are assembled in China. End of quote. The problem, of course, is that it now appears that many of the things he was claiming weren't actually true of the plants he wrote about. There was one story that recounted events that did happen, but at a different plant, 1,000 miles away, and which Daisy did not witness at all. In the meantime, This American Life has retracted the entire show, and apparently plans to air a new show today that details what happened, and has a detailed apology from Ira Glass, who just recently on the show was telling listeners to go see Daisy's full one-man show. It is true that Daisy is a storyteller, not a reporter, and that's fine, in the right context, but once it got to the point that journalistic outfits were reporting on his story, or even letting him repeat it on the air, he had every responsibility to be clear about the parts that were simply fabricated. Editorial comment, I love to end the tech segment on an upbeat story. And editorial comment. From torrentfreak.com by Enigmex, dated March 18, 2012. Mega upload seizure order, Nolan Void, says High Court. Just when it seemed that the handling of the Mega Upload case couldn't get any more controversial, a development from New Zealand has taken things to the next level. Following the raids on Kim.com's mansion in January, police seized millions of dollars worth of property belonging to the Mega Upload founder, but thanks to a police blunder, he could now see all those assets returned. On Friday, Justice Judith Potter in the High Court declared the order to use to seize dot-com's property null and void after it was discovered that the police had acted under a court order that should have never been granted. The error dates back to January when the police applied for the order granting them permission to seize dot-com's property. Rather than applying for an interim restraining order, the police commissioner applied for a foreign restraining order instead one which did not give .com a chance to mount a defense. According to New Zealand Herald, on January 30th, prosecution lawyer Ann Tui wrote to the court explaining that the wrong order had been applied for and detailed five errors with the application. Justice Potter said that Police Commissioner Peter Marshall tried to correct the error by applying for the correct order after the raids were completed and retrospectively adding the items already seized. 
although the correct order was eventually granted, albeit on a temporary basis. Potter said she will soon rule on whether the procedural error will result in .com having his property returned. The Crown is arguing that since the new order was granted, the earlier error no longer matters, but .com's legal team framed it rather differently by describing the seizure of assets as unlawful. Whether the assets are returned will rest on .com's legal team showing a lack of good faith in connection with the blunder. A hearing to decide if the assets will be returned will take place next week. Other headlines in the news? To read this story file link in the other headlines section of the show notes. Yahoo sues Facebook over 10 disputed patents in the U.S. News from IndiesTimes.com, TechDirt.com, audio of Moment of Clarity number 124, and AllGov.com used under arranged permissions. News from EFF.org and TorrentFreak.com used under permission of the Creative Commons by attribution license. News from Peoplesworld.org and PLRI.org used under permission of the Creative Commons by attribution non-commercial no derivatives license. News sources retain their respective copyrights. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talk Geek to Me. Here are the vital statistics for this program. Your feedback matters to me. Please send your comments to dg at deepgeek.us. The webpage for this program is at www.talkgeektome.us. You can subscribe to me on Identica as the username DeepGeek, or you could follow me on Twitter. My username there is dgtgtm, as in DeepGeek. Talk Geek to Me. This episode of Talk Geek to Me is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Like 3.0 Unpoured License. This license allows commercial reuse of the work as well as allowing you to modify the work so long as you share alike the same rights you have received under this license. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talk Geek to Me. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binref.com. All binref projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.